Hey, fitness business secrets listeners. Today, we're talking to a serial entrepreneur who has made her wealth in helping people be active. However, it's not through the traditional personal trainer method of helping them exercise. It's through a social club that creates events such as hiking, water polo, where people get together and have fun while being active. So if you enjoy helping people stay active, but also helping them create a connection, this type of business model might be for you. So in my first part of my two-part interview with Kelly, we're gonna focus on the ways she found success creating these service type businesses that were very subscription or reoccurring revenue-based. In this episode, Kelly talks about the right price to sell your business for, also the different ways you can make money through a subscription model and how to create multiple profit centers and add-ons. She even addresses fitness studios, how to create additional revenue sources if you're a gym. In today's show, you'll also learn how to turn around a struggling events-focused company when it only has 30 clients a month, different ways to market with a very small budget, including getting free PR to promote your business, and her surprising tip to get in front of a producer to get that free TV PR. It's a really interesting episode. Stay tuned. Fitness coaches, get more clients by learning the secret techniques successful trainers and gym owners are using to grow their business in person and online. Create multiple streams of income by training clients online, selling challenges, and growing your membership. This is the Fitness Business Secrets Podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Oshita. I've built two fitness businesses to about a half million dollars each by improving marketing, sales, and operations. Let's grow your sales and your clients. Today, I'm talking to Kelly Howard. She's a serial entrepreneur who has sold four different companies. One of the companies she's founded is Bayou City Outdoors. It's one of the largest outdoor activity social clubs of its kind. Through that business, she's seen life transformations, such as people starting to become active and people meeting and actually getting married. Today, she's an online entrepreneur with her Fit is Freedom podcast. She talks about mindset and motivation, and through her courses and events, she's helped people create that life change they're seeking. I'm with Kelly Howard. She's a multiple-time entrepreneur. She sold multiple business, and this is the thing. She is in the fitness industry. She's a, she's a trainer. She's a coach. So it just shows that there's multiple ways to make money as a coach. How are you doing today, Kelly? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for being on the show. So I am just dying to know all about you and your journey. When did you get started with as a fitness coach? And then what type of businesses did you find so much success in that you're able to actually sell it, which everyone's trying to do? Right. <laughs> right. It is a fun one, right? It's funny because I've always worked for myself, like always since a little kid, actually. And I think one time I had a job in the corporate world and I lasted a six months and I got fired because like I kept trying to tell the owner how to run his business and he just finally got so tired of me, he tossed me. But I started out small. My first company was really, it was actually a yacht maintenance business. So millions of years ago, it was a small business. And one of the cool things was, was I only hired women. Well, we had one token guy. Okay. But then I hired all women and it actually grew to the point where I, most of my clients were at yacht clubs and it grew to the point that one of the people in my largest yacht club started a business just like mine to compete with me because 
he saw how well we were doing. And I ended up selling that company, starting another one. And then the second one I started, I was in the membership business. And this was like so long ago before anyone even like, before practically before the internet like not quite that bad but practically like the sites that we created the first two companies we had to code the whole thing like wow. it was twenty five thirty thousand dollars to build a website because it was all code and so both of those companies were membership clubs and they were really geared more towards single people being social and i found that it was fun but i'm not the kind of person who likes to go to a lot of socials like, I really don't. Like, I would rather be out biking and hiking and doing all those things. And I thought that it would be better for them, the people in my clubs, to be doing those things too, right? So a friend of mine had this small company in Houston called Bayou City Outdoors. And I sent everybody his way, like everybody, because I thought it was such a cool thing and such a great way to meet people. And he actually met his wife through one of my companies and so he told me one day, he said, like, I'm going to close Bayou City down because I don't have time to get married and start a family and run a company and have a business on the side and all these other things. I was like, no, it just like came out of my mouth. I said, I'll buy it. He's like, you'll buy it? I said, I'll buy it. And I bought it. And, and it was funny because like it was small at the time, very small. I think he had like, I don't know, let's call it 70 paying members. And he wasn't doing anything with it really. Like the the calendar was small. He wasn't really doing anything. He wasn't emailing them. And at that time, I was like the queen of email in Houston. I, I had an email list of probably 30,000, which was actually the largest email list in Houston. People would come to me and go, hey, would you promote this for me or that for me? And so, you know, email's the queen, right? So I just sent an email out to all those 70 members and half of them quit because they're like, oh, I keep meaning to stop this because I'm paying every month for this and it's, I'm just not using it. Right. So it was kind of shocking actually, but it was okay because I figured that, you know, with 30 people, all I could do is go up. <laughs> all I could do is get better. And it got, I think probably the most members we had were about a thousand, a little over a thousand. And it was a little bit cyclical, but it, it grew like I grew it and it was so much fun great company. That's really neat. I know you sold four companies. The first one was the Yacht Club. And then the two in the middle, those were just uh, like websites. They were, they were subscription-based businesses. So what they were is one of them was a dinner club. Mm. So people would go, we, if you've ever heard of a company called Eight Friends Out, it was similar to that. And it was actually created before Eight Friends Out started. Eight Friends Out? Eight Friends Out was my company. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Completely brain fart. It, I think it's called dinner for eight, something like that. Mm -hmm. And what we would do is we put people together at dinners, but you know, group dinners. And then the second company was called Houston Single Source. And it was large parties and introductions, once again, like face-to-face -face for people. And then they could also meet on the web. So it, both of them had a large activity or social aspect and mm -hmm. then web-based also. So it was when Match.com first started, we had actually come out right before them. Hmm. So yeah, so it was a quite, it was quite, it was quite cool. And it was very, the neat thing about both those companies that makes it unique is that they were location specific. So it kind of got rid of, in the singles industry, one of the problems is geographically undesirable, right? 
So you meet somebody on Match and you live in Houston, but they live in Dallas or they live in New York or whatever. And this, since we were Houston based, everyone lived in the same city. And then we did a few offshoots in some other cities. And so, you know, everybody was like meeting people who lived right there. So it was, it was cool, actually. It was cool, but it came back to the whole thing was, I just didn't want to go to a bunch of parties. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather go out and, you know, do the things I love doing. Yeah. So then you sold them to, how did you find a buyer? Ooh, hang on. Let me just, let me think if I remember. First one was a friend of a friend. Second one was another friend of a friend. And the third one, I actually just put it out there onto, you know, with a broker. Hmm. And then the last one was a friend Hmm. who was also a member of the company. Okay. And so I guess these are the, the last three were social clubs. Um, curious, what was the general revenue and like, what can you sell it at as a, did you approach it where you kind of sold it at a multiple of profit or revenue or is it kind of whatever That's, they're willing to pay? Let me, well, <laughs> no, no. Cause you can't do that. Right. Like you create something that is valuable. Yeah. And, and you don't want to just walk away. Mm-hmm. I did with one of the companies. One of them, I was just like, I am so over working this hard and going and doing things I didn't really love doing. The singles um, club was it? That was the first one that they did. Oh, the, the dinner the, club. Uh, oh, the dinner um, club. Because I just I don't want to go out to eat every night. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. like it's just not my gig. I I'm very picky about what I eat. So yeah. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. Sending me to a steakhouse, which everybody else wanted to go to, is like, oh. Shoot you just me. get the veg salad. <laughs> yeah, <funny>. right. <laughs> but it really varies. It really, really varies. And that's what I've found like across the board. I think that you have to be fair and realistic. And to me, fair and realistic means that it is probably some variable of what you're bringing in, some variable of what you're netting, and some variable of what they're going to be able to do. Because a lot of times when someone buys a company, there's a point there where they're not going to be able to be as successful at you as you right away, unless they have a big amount of money behind them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so like some, uh, a person that I was on his pop- podcast recently, he invests in large sums of money in companies that want to be purchased, right? So doing that, it's a whole different animal than if you're selling to an individual. Yeah, And it's also a different animal if you're selling through a broker or not, because yeah. a broker is going to take a commission and they're going to, they're going to jack the price up as high as they think they can, which is viable as long as the person buying it understands what they're getting. You know, I mean, cause you have to be fair. Like, you know, it's everybody's dream to sell their company, right? Or not everybody, but a large portion of the people would like to sell their company. And at the same time, you have to realize that that company wants to keep running. And so you can't load it with so much debt that mm-hmm. it's impossible for it to keep running. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know that the numbers are a little bit different for service companies and smaller businesses. What would you say, just doing some type of, whether it's social or event, about how much would you say at your highest, let's say the, the singles club did and revenue? I actually do not remember like i i i would just make something up i cannot remember it's been yeah. a number of years and it's just like out of sight out of mind right yeah i have this ability to completely forget things and i really i'm not sure 
Yeah. I mean, I know that it was doing well enough that I was doing well, mm. but I couldn't give you an exact number. I do know that in that company, and actually in the last three companies, all of them have had a like the subscription-based model, mm-hmm. which I love. The the singles clubs both had a also we made money off events too. Mm-hmm. So like some people would say, well, that doesn't seem right. Like, you know, someone has to pay a subscription and an event, but it, it worked like, mm-hmm. you know, they got the quality that they wanted. I like that because it gave you like you're I, I'm always looking for where's the extra profit in this, right? Because yeah. you're going to have that that amount of money that's going to cover your base but then, you know, where do your where are your profit centers, mm-hmm. and how many profit centers can you have? Yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I and I think a lot of fitness trainers would relate. Or if you have a, you have a gym, then you have a baseline of membership, and then you upsell mm-hmm. to personal training or other things, and there is additional costs. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah and there's a lot you can do. Like you know, if you think about it and I'm just going to run off on a tangent for a second, but if someone's running a gym, a lot of times my friends who have had gyms have just looked at it as a subscription-based model in the story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe some maybe some personal training, but there's so much more you can do and not just like selling water bottles to them. You know, you, there's just there's just so many add-ons, digital things you can do, and it's it's actually extraordinarily cool, especially like right now. Right, Because when yeah. someone has a gym, like, where I am, I'm not going to my gym. I just not going to happen. So I'm having to find different ways to deal with that and learn. And you know, the gyms that I belong to two gyms and one of them is being super smart and coming up with new things. And one of them is just like stuck in the eighties and they're dying. Hmm. Yeah. It's tough. Have you just because it sounded like, you know, a lot of gym owners, did you see any examples of them doing something where they added kind of additional revenue, similar to like your social club? Yeah. So I had a friend who I I worked with a little bit, like just helped her out. And in helping her out, and I not from a fitness standpoint, because she totally knew what she was doing from a marketing standpoint, because I do love marketing. Like, I mean, that's kind of, if you want to get me going, like, and fall asleep with me talking, talk to me about marketing, because I'll talk for hours. But what we did with her was we created first some events, And when everything went crazy here in Houston, we took our events online immediately, which, and the events were not like, you know, let's do a half hour of, you know, yoga together or something, but we brought in speakers and examples of things that she could do, like, you know, how she worked with people and show and tell and all of that. People love that stuff. So that was actually became a second profit center for her. And then the other thing we did was we actually created a digital course for her. And in the digital course, it, it is similar, similar to what I do, but she was like targeting her clients and using her spin on it. But she was able to upsell a large portion of her clients to a digital course so that they were getting more than just, you know, people come into a gym and they maybe work out with a personal trainer once or twice a week, but then they go home and they keep the same habits and, you know, their eating is junk or, you know, whatever it is. And these courses, you know, help people create a better mindset, better habits. And then we also created for her an accountability setup. It's kind of like I do an accountability group, like an eight week accountability group a couple of times a year. So we did the same thing for her group. And 
really made a difference. Like when people have that little lanyap, like we say, we say down here, which is like that little extra special something. It just, it made everybody so sticky, even when all of this stuff was going on with the pandemic. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to ask some follow-up questions because I think a lot of gym owners, small gym owners are like, they're like, how, what did they, what did they do for the events and the membership? Did she maintain, do you know if she maintained, I'm not sure how involved you were with her business, but did she maintain her gym membership and then add on events or did she just do events? No, she kept her gym added on of it, added on. These are all add-ons. It's kind of like a sampler platter, Mm -hmm. right? You've got your, your entree and then, you know, you add on the appetizers and you add on the desserts and, you know, you throw in a fancy cocktail and, and people, when they like you and when you help them, they just want to do more business with you. Yeah. Yeah. For the events, because that sounds very interesting. And I know we tried to do events. We did like osteoporosis workshops and stuff. And it was for us, I found it, it worked, but sometimes it was also hard because it was a ton of time into one event. You only did it once. You did a lot of it set up. So I felt like it was always a give and take if it worked. Uh, what type of events would she put in? How much would she charge? Okay, let's see. Let me just see if I can think about this for a second. There were times, and I'm like, Got my eyes up there because I'm trying to remember. Yeah. There were times when we were doing weekly, okay? And then there were times when we were doing monthly. So before the whole COVID thing started, probably two years before, I had gotten her into the idea of doing these weekly events. And so part of the thing with events, I mean, really, if it's, it's marketing them, it's naming them, right? You know, you can have an osteoporosis event called, you know, how to prevent osteoporosis, right? Or you can have one and I'm just going to make something up real quick. Like, you know, no more broken bones or, you know, did you, did you get the 3% bone loss from your, you know, whatever the bone thing, bone density is called, you know, you, you kind of like, you got to hook them. Mm -hmm. And once you hook them, then there's a lot of ways to promote events. And if you, hang on, let me just back up for just a second. With events, I will say something about them. You have to be willing to go all in. And when I say it that way, what I mean is that if I'm going to have two events a year, they either better be like, Katie, bar the door. These are the most amazing things. Or else you do them weekly and get people knowing that this is coming. And you're marketing to them properly that way. Mm-hmm. So. Are the events like, are they workshops or sort of like a 12 week program? How do you get people to come to this event? So the events that she was doing, they were all one time events. Mm, okay. Okay. Like, you know, one topic, one time, sometimes, you know, a specialist would come in. Sometimes it would just be her teaching something. I helped a couple of times with a couple of things, but those were though. I'm just, hang on. Just let me think. I, think we did like one workshop series but the problem with the workshop series is that if you're going to do a workshop series you now are doing what three or five or eight events the profit goes down because if you can charge forty dollars for an event it's one thing but now if you're you know doing eight you're at 320 but people don't want to pay 320 for a series so now they want to pay like 120 or whatever it is so it's it's easier to do it all a la carte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. 
So um, on average for your events, you guys were charging these bigger events would be about $40? 25 to 58. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Were, were these events like one hour events or two hour events almost? And were, how many people one to would two. show up? One to two. two. Okay. Yeah. One to two. And how many people? Hmm, probably, I'm, I don't know. I'm going to have to make this one up to five to 20. Okay. You know, right. I mean, yeah. we're not talking about big events, mm-hmm. you know, big events are a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, and big events, you can do them now on zoom, but you're not going to be able to do them at all. It depending upon where you're living for a while. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about if people are thinking about doing events, they're either looking at, you know, outdoor events, smaller events or online events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. For the course that she did, what, did she just start that when COVID started? No, that was, we did that a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she has a gym and she added on this course. Was it sort of like a personal training course, like as if nutrition and health and did she give it, personal training with it? It was more of a mindset, motivation and accountability mm-hmm. because that's the stuff that I know. Mm. Like, you know, I, I add on some of the things that, you know, I use myself as a guinea pig for, but mm-hmm. in general, those are the things I know. And so those were the things I could help her build her course around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she, and we did like, we did a little bonus because she was a very, a, an excellent physical trainer or a personal trainer. So mm-hmm. we did a bonus with, you know, some personal training stuff, but a lot of the people were already training with her. So this was, sort of it was a very, addition. you know, it was, it was kind of an elite gym. Mm. What was kind of an elite, an elite gym? So you know, people wanted to work with her too. I see. Okay. And how much money did she make from each like program? Since this was an elite gym, I don't know. (laughs) I'm wondering if it was you know two thousand dollars for the program or three hundred dollars. Oh, you mean what she charge? Yeah. Oh, I think we we had the price at probably. Hang on. Like, I, I'm not sure. I'm just going to make something up. I would imagine that we probably put the price at somewhere between six and 18, mm. 600 and 1800, depending upon time of year and what she was actually doing. Like, you know, it's different if you have just a DIY course mm-hmm. or if you have like a group course, group coaching course where she's going to actually spend her time also coaching, you know, on a Zoom call or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did, do you know if she did coaching with that, like a group coaching or one-on-one She coaching? did one. She did one group coaching. Okay. Okay. So then that's, I would imagine that's why it would be okay to charge like over a thousand for a digital. Oh program. yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's interesting. And, and those are all like great ideas for gym owners during this time. So uh, back to like your story, I think we left off as a cliffhanger. You had just bought this Bayou Club and Bayou Outdoor Club, right? Bayou City Outdoors, yeah. <laughs> I knew there was a C. It's a mouthful. Um, so you just bought it and all of a sudden half of the people left. So you're at 30. And I could totally relate because I think when I took over um, the gym, I, I think a bunch of people were like, what? And they, they're like, great, I can get out of my gym contract. <laughs> right, right. Yes. It's like, it's a whole different, you know, I mean, it's, you're new. Yeah. You know, when you buy something, you're new and, you know, it's not, they're used to something different and people are funny about change. So Mm -hmm. how much were you charging at that time? I think that people paid somewhere between 
they could do a monthly, a semi, or an annual, and they probably paid somewhere around $30 a month, 180 and whatever the other one was. Mm -hmm. They've got to break at an annual, probably 300 an annual. Okay. Yeah. 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 So say, let's say 30 people, $30 a month just to make it. So you're making about $900 a month. Right. With, yeah. So you're not making any money. Yeah, you're not making any money. <laughs> you got way more expenses than that. <laughs> and did you actually pay like a decent amount of money for this business? Because it sounds... It wasn't... Yes, yes. I mean, it wasn't like $5. I mean, it was, it was more than the company was making that year. Mm. But... Okay. It was also a company that I knew was highly underutilized, like mm -hmm. highly underutilized. Like I spent a lot of time giving this person marketing help because like his idea of marketing was buy an ad in a magazine and be done with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm imagining, so you, you saw so much value in it and I'm wondering what was it? Was it that he had certain relationships with no. places? The value was in the members meeting each other. Mm -hmm. That was the real value in, in the beginning because people like call it back in the day. I mean, I had, I bought the company probably 15 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So once again, before you had meetup, before you had some of these other things out there, people didn't know how to connect. Mm -hmm. Right. They wanted to, but they really just didn't have the way maybe, you know, little groups, little, I don't know little social groups out there, little activity groups out there, but there was nothing that was like the gorilla. And I could see this as the gorilla. And the gorilla is the thing that comes into town, takes one look around and says, yeah, we need to own. I mean, we need to own this. We need to own the hiking. We need to own the biking trips. We need to own the kayaking stuff. We need to teach people how to do all these different things. And what ended up coming out of it was like a, millions of millions of friendships like just people just became the best friends in the world over this club lots and lots of weddings and which was cool right and then the big thing though was how many people got into things they didn't think they could ever do like they just didn't think they could physically do something and that that was what really drove me was like I can remember a woman coming to one of my hikes and Houston's a relatively flat city but we have some areas that are that have some pretty good up and downs and she showed up and she had a cane which is a little strange I mean people show up with hiking poles but with, not with a cane and she just said she said you know I just wanted to show up like I'm not going to go on the hike with you I just wanted to prove to myself that I would come I was like, no way, you're coming with us on this hike. And of course, everyone, you know, took care of her. She finished, she did something she never thought she could do. Mm. And she was so stoked and so excited that it changed her life. I think it literally changed her life. She goes hiking all over the world now. She has friends that she takes with her. Like, I mean, that's when you can do something like that. Mm -hmm. it, you know, the value is just like, where, how can you put a value on that? Yeah. yeah. So you're changing lives. You still want to make money. How did you, what did you, what was the first things you started to do so you could increase the memberships? Oh, more events. Like, in fact, it was kind of fun because at the time I had, I don't know, probably 
four or five people who worked for me from the other companies. Mm -hmm. And so, and everybody worked at my house. Like it was a madhouse. Two bedrooms in the house were, you know, that was it. So what we did was we printed out the calendar that was the current calendar. And I think maybe there were five events, which is pathetic, right? And so our goal was to hit 20 events a month. We probably, when I sold the company, were doing 100 to 120 events a month. Wow. So like, like when you can like bring it up like that and volunteers running the events, it just, it's, you know, it becomes very, very sustainable. Yeah. You know, anybody looks at that and, and it's, there's a lot, I mean, I'm not going to go down the whole road of why it's better than meetup and stuff like that, because I think meetup's a very cool business. This is a very sticky business because people come in they make friends, they get to do things, and then they continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you sell your business? Last year. Okay. All right. So you mentioned you, you bought it or you started it with 15 years ago? Mm -hmm. So you, okay. So, all right. So you had 15 years, you, you brought it up from, I think you said five to 120 events. What were the first few years like? Because I'm sure it's a great idea to add events, but you still need to make sure you're getting people to these events. So you, you, you also just need to like market, a market out of, out, a market. outside of your current list. How did you uh, market on, I, I'm assuming a shoestring. Well, shoestring, a little bit of debt, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, I mean, sometimes you just have to be willing to, to jump in. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's something that I've always been willing to do is just jump in because I, I trust that I can do the things that I want to do. But we were, we were super creative. That would probably be the best word, like super creative. I, I don't know. I was one day I'm walking around and I see Outside Magazine and you know the REI, the local REI, and I'm like, why aren't they? You know, why don't they do something with us? So I just pick up the phone. I find the person who does REI, who does the Outside Magazine distribution. I'm like, I've got this club. You should send me magazines. They shipped me like two thousand magazines, and so my whole crowd. We all sat around and like literally took these outside magazines, put invitations to the club, tied them up in paper, uh, like tissue paper that looked just like, you know, our branding, big ribbons on them. I mean, it was like crazy. And then we went around to every place. We've got a, a very nice park here in Houston, massive park. And we went and we put it on everybody's car. You know, we mm -hmm. irritated some people, but like a lot of people were like, wow. And so that was, you know, I mean, that that's a, that's such a hands-on thing to do, right? Guerrilla marketing kind of thing. And then the flip side of it was just, this was barely before Facebook, right? Like Facebook had just started coming out. So the advertising on Facebook was pretty marginal, but we could get a lot of organic reach on Facebook hmm. because it was just, you know, it was just getting going. So we did a lot of organic reach that way. I did a lot of organic reach by reaching out to organizations in the city, organizations and companies. And just, I was like, hey, you know, we've got this cool thing. Do you want to have us, like, hang on just a second. I'm just thinking for a second. Like church groups, I would go out and speak to them, which was like, oh my God, not another speech, right? But it worked. Mm -hmm. And and now, like, you know, I can do the same thing now, but I do it on Zoom, which is so much easier. I did a lot of PR, a lot of PR. Like I was on every TV show and every magazine in the city because it was just easy and it was super effective. 
So, you know, I, and I now, I mean, in my current business, I do a lot of Facebook advertising. I do a lot of email advertising. Back then I did a lot of email advertising too for this company. So I like those basics, but I also like looking, like looking outside of the box. Yeah. Yeah. For the PR, I think that's interesting for a lot of trainers or gym, small gym owners thinking, okay, I'd love to get in front of some, some type of published article or something. How did you do that? Did you just reach out to them? Did you have to follow up a lot? Oh, so PR was pretty easy for me. Mm-hmm. I was known. I'd done a lot of, a lot of TV in the city already. Actually, I used to have a TV show. And so, you know, I, it was easy for me just to pick up the phone and call. It's not as easy to pick up the phone and contact a producer anymore but you can get all the information you need for a producer. You do have to be willing to follow up. So that is like, it's PR is a flip, is a flip. So the flip is that it's free. It carries power. And the reason it carries power is that when you're on TV, when you're, you know, on the radio, whatever it is, people see you as more than you are. It, it has a star power that it doesn't have, like when you're just telling people how great you are. So there's a lot of value there. These days, now, there's less, less physical or currency value. Like I don't see tons and tons of sales or tons and tons of leads that come in from PR. But I do see that the star power, the credibility factor just goes up and through the roof. You do have to be willing to do a lot of follow-up. Once one thing that you need to think about on that is like in my world, I think automation automations and systems are the best thing you can do. Mm. So you figure out a system, you create it, and then you figure out a way to automate it as much as you can. And then you find someone who can do it for you. Like I, I still don't do a lot of this stuff. Like, I mean, I'll do some follow-up if it's a big TV show, like there's a big TV show that I've been going back and forth with right now. And I do that follow-up. Like mm-hmm. my assistant doesn't handle it. But mm-hmm. some of the smaller stuff, I just, she takes it and runs. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. To get the producer information, since I'm going to imagine that a lot of people don't have an assistant and they're going to, you know, they're just like, okay, I'm going to try to get the producer information and just follow it myself. How, Super how easy. You- Super easy. Google. <laughs> like Okay. So like, I mean, it is... It, that is what's simpler than in the past. Like in the past, you would have to like literally call the TV shows and be like, who's your producer? Can I have their name? You know, what's their phone number? Blah, blah, blah. Now you just get on the, get on the web and start looking. There's so much information out there and you can find everybody. Would you say in the current environment, well, there's where there's so many ways to contact producers now, right? They're probably inundated. What's the best kind of personal email? email? They want email. Okay. Yeah. They want email. They want short emails. They want follow-up. They don't want to be harassed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if someone's on this call and they um, are interested, some friends of mine have, it's called super, super connector, super connector media. And you can find them on Facebook and they actually have a, like a class they run, Mm -hmm. Chris and Jen, and it's brilliant. Like they're really good. And they're super cute and they just know their stuff like nobody's business. So yeah, I would definitely tell people to just contact them. Okay. Hey, thanks for listening. 
Oh, I have three freebies. Number one, get your full edited transcription with bullet points of the key lessons from today's show on our website, fitnesssecrets.co. That's fitnesssecrets with an S at the end, .co. While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, which gets you access to our monthly freebie marketing and operations content that you can use for your own fitness business. Freebie number two. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player by hitting the subscribe button. Since the show happens because of listeners like you, could you also leave a review? If you email us your review at support at fitnessecrets.co, you'll receive a complimentary one-hour coaching call with me and a $150 credit towards the first challenge that we will be releasing soon. Finally, freebie number three. We started the Fitness Secrets Facebook group. I know thinking and designing of new marketing campaigns, planning out your operations each month for your fitness clients is exhausting. Our goal is for the group to help you plan out your marketing, plan out your operations so you can get more clients efficiently. To join, go to facebook.com and search Fitness Business Secrets. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode.